Well, Nadal missed a championship point in the last game, but that was on the Djokovic serve. This time, it's on his own serve. He will take all the time he needs. Shouts coming from the crowd, but Djokovic is still going through his motions. And now the umpire has to call for quiet. Second championship point, Nadal. Serving out wide, backhand return. There's a good angle, Nadal chops this one. Djokovic will tee off on the backhand. Nadal hits the backhand up the middle of the court. Backhand Djokovic, Nadal with a forehand cross court. Backhand Djokovic off the frame and wide. And Nadal has his 10th Rome title. He has a broad smile. He hits a loose ball into the crowd, a crowd that's played its part. There's a warm handshake and embrace at the net. This was a wonderful final, two hours, 48 minutes. But the King of Clay has won and now he has 10 titles or more at four play court events. Rafa, huge congratulations. You've had such a tough draw and the hardest part today. How have you done it? Well, I was lucky at some moments, uh, especially against Chapo. And then I think I played a, a good tournament. No, uh, I think I, I have been playing better and better, finding my, my rhythm on, on clay. And uh, yeah, I think I... I had a, a very positive week and I'm very happy. The 10th title, what does it mean? Oh, it's amazing. No, I have this trophy in my hands for the 10th time. It's just something impossible to imagine, uh, but happened. So, uh, super happy. Uh, can thank enough my team, uh, life for all these opportunities. And everybody, your support has been huge during uh, all these years. So, have the trophy today, this year is just amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It is another Italian job for Rafael Nadal, title number 10 in Rome for the King of Clay. It was always going to happen. Finally, the big three have struck back after four straight Masters 1000 titles won by the 25 and unders, dating back to Daniel Medvedev's title in Paris last year. Since then, Hubert Hurkacz has won in Miami, Stefanos Tsitsipas in Monte Carlo, and most recently, Sasha Zverev took the spoils in Madrid just last week. But this was a week and a final for the historians, for the purists, for the statisticians. Nadal and Djokovic have faced off in all four Grand Slam finals, five times at the Nito ATP finals, at nine different ATP Masters, at the ATP Cup, the Davis Cup and the Olympics. But nowhere have these two giants of the game met more often than at the Foro Italico. Today was their ninth meeting in Rome and their sixth final. What a week it's been in Italy's capital. Shortly we'll hear from tournament director Sergio Palmieri, the world's number two Italian 19-year-old Yannick Sinner and Italian commentator Diego Nargiso. But first, it's down to our very own commentators, Chris Bowers and Miles McLagan, to reflect on today's final. Well, we get to the end of a memorable week in Rome and a memorable final. I think we will be thinking about this for a long time. Maybe not the greatest ever match between Nadal and Djokovic, Miles McLagan, but I do think that this was a fascinating match in the sense that it looked like it could have gone both ways and ultimately was decided, I suspect, in the fifth and sixth game of the final set. I agree with you, yes. Um, th there were moments when the quality was was absolutely outstanding there were moments when both players would look back and think I, I could have done better there but you, you're right the drama and the suspense right to the very end even with Nadal serving for it you felt Djokovic had chances and, and maybe with a few uh, telling swings of the racket might, might turn things around but uh, 
the Dal, as you ex expect, were, would really dig in. I wondered how Djokovic would uh, would feel on court today. He had a very tough semi-final day, uh, four and a half sets of, of intense tennis, but he, he came out, he actually looked fresh, um, and he got an early lead in the match, which is what we thought he, he needed. Um, tough going to sit down to, to Nadal and thinking, well, I'm, you know, I've put all this work in and I've still got to win my two sets, but it looks as though he might turn it around. A little surprise of tactics from, from Djokovic in that second set. He looked to, to slow things down a little. The serve and volley was able to find a better position on the baseline. He had those two break points at Tool in the fifth set, and there was one particularly long one where he had a, a forehand. Nadal was doing some absolutely last-ditch defending and he, Djokovic then missed a forehand into out. At that stage, he'd, he'd started to get more control of, of the rallies, Djokovic, and actually was looking strong in that, thir in that third set. And yeah, it was a defensive shot from Nadal. It just floated up in the air. It was, it had, it was deep, but uh, Djokovic went after it and, and, and found the net. And yeah, he never really recovered from that moment. He looked as though he, he might uh, um, stay strong in the next game and then there were chances after that but uh, he did have another another break point but Nadal just fought and fought and fought you see we've seen this a lot on clay you know they've played what um, 25 matches on clay and we so often see this that Nadal goes through a, a phase where he's not playing very well there was that Roland Garros final 2014 I think when Djokovic went eight games on the run but when it comes to the really crucial stages of the match Nadal always seems to be able to find his rhythm that happened again today. He was, you know, he went absent at the uh, end of the second set from one all yeah. in the second set. Nadal lost five games on the run and was giving lots of points to Djokovic. Djokovic was playing well. Let's not be wrong about that. But uh, Nadal was able to find what he needed in the fifth, in the third set. He was, and I think the, the situation just sharpens the concentration and the competitive instincts. And, and boy, some of the passing shots he played, Djokovic said that he was able to play a little bit more on, on the front foot and uh, able to get forward at times. But Nadal able on both, the, well, particularly the backhand, to just flick shots when he looked to be out of position, get them past Djokovic, just break the Serbian's heart at times. But yes, the, the, the concentration and, and just, just finding the mark. He had a little, the net, few net calls just went his way. Djokovic could have had a, a little bit of luck, but it, it wasn't to be. Well, I was one of the people that thought that Nadal would be finished by the time he was uh, in his early 30s. He turns 35 on the 2nd of June, and he is still winning tournaments. He's the Rome champion for the 10th time, and that is a phenomenal achievement. Thanks to Chris and Miles, and more from them shortly. First, though, to reflect on the tournament and the arrival of fans from the round of 16 onwards, tournament director Sergio Palmieri. For the player, is this very very important to have the crowd there and not just uh, here in Rome which you know, they, we have a huge crowd but I think you know that gives something extra to the player to work for and to fight for and uh, but you know after one year in which they basically play without spectator they they are start to be used to that and uh, I know how they can do it because you know it's very very tough but you know, I think they they are ready. They are very professional, and they, even if it's very tough, you know, they they try their best. The thing is about Rome is that the public is such a big part of the event. There's such a special feeling here. I wonder if you could share with us the first year you came to this event, and what you felt when <laughs> you came here. 
I, I tell you, I, I mean, the first time I came here because I was a player, prehistoric uh, time. Yes. Then, you know, I became tournament director 79 and 80 for, for two years only because I was working, uh, I owned a tournament in Milan and I was running the tournament in Milan, you know, from 99 I started to come back as a tournament director here. And uh, I mean, this is like uh, it's like my home. You know, I know everyone. Uh, I think I know every uh, every site of the of the Fort Italico. And uh, of course, you know, I saw many player, many different player. And uh, I don't want to say this is a tougher part, but you know, to deal with the player is uh, it can be very easy. But you know, they have a lot of people around more and more, more and more. And of course, they also, everybody try to make them uh, comfortable and they make many requests. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I know how to, how to deal with this kind of problem. And you say that because you were the agent of John McEnroe. So if, <laughs> if you need to know how to deal with a player who was a real character, you have that experience. That was a better uh, uh, school for me. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, I was a, his manager for more than 15 years. I was also his manager when he, was, when he became a senior player. But, you know, every, everyone have a... Have a different idea about you know John but Johnny was much much better than what the people know and I think you know he, he was a very generous player was very honest and he had his character he's like everyone else you know on, on the street you know they start to scream if the guy doesn't drive the right way you know and everybody recognize on him you know themselves that's why at the end of the day, they love him. They love him because he was, they, they saw them through him. And I think this was the best part. I'm sure you could write, maybe have written a book about the stories with John McEnroe. I wanted to talk to you particularly about the rise of Italian tennis recently. And in the context of having seen it when it's happened before, you will recall Adriano Panatta winning here in 1976. Can you give us an idea of what the feeling was and how important that was for Italy at the time. I tell you, the, the big history of the Italian tennis starts even earlier than that, you know, when we have Pietrangeli and Cirola. Uh, but then, you know, when uh, Panatta came out, then it was a really, not just Panatta, but Borg and McEnroe. Tennis was really very popular, glamour, and the, and the people start to see the tennis even if he doesn't know anything about tennis and Panata I think was a, for our Italian uh, tennis was a very very important because everybody loved me loved him you know? the ladies of course but you know the crowd loved him because the way he acted on the court and that's what really the start of the interest of on tennis for everyone now uh, after after that time we have a little, little Christ, but you know we always have some uh, good player, and then you know suddenly come out from nowhere, we have four girls, in which you know we never had the, those kind of girls, but we have four girls in the same time, able to win in the slam, uh, 
become number one uh, uh, in the Fed Cup. We won four times the title. And then the tennis also was discovered by the, the not fans of the women tennis because then through them the, the tennis became much popular also uh, beside the, the women tennis. That, and that was really the really our best time. What we miss when the, we have those four girls, we miss some coming up player. And uh, sadly, I don't, I don't know how to explain that. But no, we start to have some young player coming up at very good level and stay at that level. And then now I think, you know, this is one of the best moments of the Italian tennis. It can't just be from nowhere, though, because I mean that we've spoken to, to coaches who've told us that cooperation between the federation and coaches has improved. A lot of hard work has gone in to finding these players and developing them. Do you think that's... That's happened? Uh, no, that's true, that's true. But, you know, sometimes doesn't mean you know, the Italian Federation doesn't try before. We try. When, at the time of Panata, we try. Right after that, you know, we try. Let's try to, to take some advantage of this time. But, you know, and we have some good coach and uh, we have some good young player too at that time. But, you know, the, the combination to be a player and to be a champion is a is a very big gap and uh, is not easy to explain. At the end, is always uh, the answer is inside of every player because you we we have some very talented player, but talent is not enough. So, which of the Italian men players, in your opinion, having seen them up close, has that has that ability to become a champion? You talk about the, right the player now. we have yes. now. I mean, Berrettini came close last week. We've got Sinner and Musetti who have already started to show great things, Sinner in particular. Yeah, but I think everyone improved because, you know, it's a, it's a like of competition which, you know, they, they are very good friends between them, very good friends between the coach and, you know, they are really happy to see the success of the other player. And uh, this kind of combination... Uh, make them uh, uh, really a great fighter because they want to fight. If, if you're able to do that, you know, I want to be able to do that too. Uh, this kind of competition really helps. So you're telling me all three can become big champions? I, th I think not, not just those three. I think you know, we have somebody behind, which I don't want to even mention the name. But you know, this is also include some of the youngest players, which they see those one in which they are not very far as an age and they really believe and they are working very hard and uh, sometimes it's not enough sometimes you can work enough but you don't have the talent you don't have the ability you to become a champion you need to have six seven eight uh, uh, thinking which they're not easy to combine all together but they try last question if I may we've got Turin later in the year for the ATP finals and this crop of of great male players. You've seen great periods of the past in Italian tennis, but for Italian men's tennis, could this be, next few years, the greatest time? This is a very tough question. Uh, I mean, of course I hope, but you know, it's, it's a very tough answer because, you know, I know those guys very, very well. I know how bad they try and I know how many people around them really try to help very much, but you know, 
is a something you cannot easily explain. They have the potential to make tennis great in Italy, but you know, is something depend also on the other player, the opponent. Depend on many different things. Depend on the family. Depend on many different things. But those guys now, that group of guys, have the potential to really become great players. One of those younger players delivering on his potential in Rome was Italian semi-finalist Lorenzo Sonego. Long after the more fancied Italians Matteo Berrettini, Yannick Sinner and Fabio Fanini had bowed out, Sonego kept the home fires burning for the fans and local media, much to the delight of local television commentator, former Davis Cup finalist Diego Nagiso. Lorenzo is... Uh a great player i mean uh, he uh, he's a fighter he's a player that really uh, like uh, plays every point of the of the match whoever he plays against i mean he, he's got this uh, since he was a, a junior and he really uh, continues to do that so every match that he plays doesn't really matter against who is he playing that he will give his best and he enjoys it so much and you can tell on the court that and uh, that's that's how he did it because uh, Dominic team and and then uh, Andrew Rublev they are on top of him uh, ranking wise and probably until now they thought they would they would be uh, on top of him even uh, in the on the court but uh, Lorenzo just did exceptional job what's it been like as an Italian to hear the sound of the Italian crowd and to see Lorenzo growing in in front of them it's been important, I guess. Uh, for, you know, uh, I played here many times, and uh, uh, the, the the Roman crowd is really, really close to the players. Can be tricky when you're not you're not giving hundred percent. If you're not sweating your your win off, uh, they can be even mean to you. But if they feel like Lorenzo is that really puts every, all the effort he can into the match, then they will be. Uh, uh, behind you incredibly and this is I think uh, it was a very important thing for him to have them today. What's the pressure like then on an Italian in front of these this crowd because the expectation to deliver a big result has been growing amongst the men. Yes uh, you're right because lately uh, Jacopo Berrettini in the top eight in the ATP finals uh, Yannick Sinner is one of the upcomers all of, that everybody in the world think uh, will be one of the best players in the world. And, uh, and among them, uh, Lorenzo is, of course. And uh, telling you the truth, every week we are expecting a result. And uh, this is, of course, very, very uh, tough to handle sometimes. But uh, Lorenzo has a big, big, uh, uh, big ego. He's, uh, he's humble, but at the same time, he really believes in what he does and uh, he believes in his job. So I think uh, this is not so tough for him to, uh, to face this. What about the way he's come through. He only picked up a racket for the first time, maybe 11 years old. He's quite a late starter, but he's had the same coach from the beginning. He did. Uh, this is something that uh, of more often we're seeing lately uh, uh, because uh, the Federation is helping a lot 
uh, all over the country, uh, the coaches they want to invest into uh, junior player and even a smaller player than juniors. And uh, this has helped a lot the movement to have different coaches that can start from the beginning and don't have really to lose their players or their young players uh, to go into the national centers. Uh, they can be followed uh, also like this. And this is how Lorenzo did it. He stood and he kept uh, his coach uh, all, uh, all the time with him till now, uh, even if the federation is there with Umberto Riana and Filippo Volandri uh, to help them out to uh, make the schedule of the, uh, of the year or to decide technically or technically what to work on. This teamwork, this cooperation, this, this sort of sense of family, it feels like a very Italian approach. It is, it is. I tell you the truth, uh, we are all uh, coaches that have been players before, uh, mostly, and uh, we know how important it is to actually uh, feel like uh, we can help each other and we can practice with each other during the tournament. And uh, uh, one another, we, uh, we help uh, during the, 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 the tour. And sometimes one of the players will play better than you, but uh, it doesn't really matter because it means that, uh, that you can achieve as well the same result or even better. And this is what is, going to, what is happening right now in the Italian tennis. There is uh, a big, big team that uh, really pushes uh, all, the, all, the, all the time in the same direction and the results are coming incredibly. Tournament director Sergio Palmieri and Diego Nagiso both speaking there with Richard Connolly and both, understandably, coming at things from an Italian point of view. So, what else caught the eye this week of ATP tennis radio commentators Chris Bowers and Andy Murray's former coach, Miles McLagan. Well, Miles, when we came to Rome, we thought that this would be the week that showed us which players were really peaking on the clay court season. Obviously, Nadal and Djokovic, by reaching the final, have come through their own uh, issues this week. I think Nadal came through his against Zverev because we were all expecting him to be uh, nervous or even tired, having played those three hours, 27 minutes against Shapovalov the previous day. But... Nadal came through that. Sverev, where's Sverev after this week? And where is Tsitsipas uh, and where is Rublev? I think they're all in good places. I mean, Sverev, of course, the, the big boost in Madrid, it's conditions he'd love, but I think his best surface for now, I know he's made that US Open final, but he loves the clay. He can, and, and Roland Garros should suit him because it's a, it's a heavier ball and heavier conditions that, that he can hit and without fear of it flying, uh, he can still get value for the, for the serve. He, he's such a good athlete. It doesn't, being tired doesn't worry me for Sverev. If you remember, I think it was 2018, that phenomenal year on the clay, wasn't it? The, the win in Munich, the win in Madrid, the final in in Rome where we worried with um, how he'd fare against Nadal but he, he really pushed him so I think him along with Tsitsipas who's you can't put him in, in, the, in the same league as Djokovic and Nadal yet I mean he's, he's 18, 20 grand slam short but he's pushing hard and I think his his belief levels and his desire are are, are really remarkable and he, he wants to get there and Rublev too riding a wave of form some of the most matches won this year I don't know if Clay's his his best surface, but he's, he's certainly dangerous. And where has this week left Dominic Team? He took those couple of months off to just refresh himself. He, he had four matches in Madrid, which he said was uh, better than uh, he expected. And then he went and lost that uh, long three-setter to Sonigo in the quarterfinals, including missing a match point. 
I think he's he's in a pretty good place. I mean, we'll, we'll, time will tell if he's if he's really re hit the reset button with the the desire and the ambition. It's you know I, I wish I'd experienced it. The you know what what it's like to achieve a you know lifetime ambition in terms of winning a, a tennis grand slam and then you know having to 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 set those goals again that fire the 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 work ethic and the and the motivation and it'll come and, and sometimes you, you have to play your way back into matches he, he's got them under his belt um we know he's a hard-working professional and when he starts to get the, the taste again and, and and perhaps even you know a few defeats might just just irk him and and that might be the the little kick forward but he had he the he, he looked relaxed in madrid like mm. sort of you know and anything's a bonus here he looked Wow, his match against Sonigo was odd. There was one game when he hit four two-handed backhands, which is is just sort of, you know, a sign that his mind is elsewhere. Yeah. He seemed to be resigned to losing the match by the end. It was almost like everything's gone wrong in this match. Oh, this guy's going to win. I'm just going to just see if I can uh, eke it out, but I'm not expecting it. There was something odd about him. I just wonder where his mind is at the moment. Yeah, and, and I don't know for, for sure. I think... The, even the mindset, the concentration takes some time to, to settle back in. And, and for him, someone who's used to playing so much tennis to have had this little break might take him a bit longer to, to get back in. But that that concentration, that, that sort of steely competitiveness, you almost need to put yourself in that situation to start to feel it again. But yes, may, maybe it's going to take him longer than he thinks. Maybe he would have liked more time out, but just thought, I've got to get back for the clay court season. I've got to get some tournaments before Roland Garros. Other players who did well here, Opelka reached the semi-finals, Delbonis reached the quarter-finals, Eliassime won two matches on clay. Maybe the uh, partnership with Tony Nadal is starting to uh, bear fruit on that one. Any of those strike you as having made an important move forward this week? Well, a good show from both the young Canadians, wasn't it? Uh, you know, Shapovalov mentioned that that that, uh, that run against Nadal and ha having those match points, that the belief, you, the confidence you can take from that. And I think I, I put them both in the same category. I mean, phenomenal athletes, shot makers, but just be able to need to be able to play with a little bit more margin at times. And sometimes it's not a, it's not always just a eureka moment. It's it's about. You know, just having a little experience and thinking, oh, I, I, that did work for me. I don't need to just play pedal to the metal tennis all the time. So, you know, perhaps for those two, because they, they certainly have an abundance of talents, and, and as Riley Opelka does in a different way. I mean, what a threat. What a, you know, what a nervy proposition for anybody who comes up against them. Such a big game. We've seen the likes of Karlovic and Isner before, but he's got, he's got threats everywhere backhand forehand uh, the serve of course and he throws in the odd serve volley as well so uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see that, that tall american having lots of success and there's also a couple of good wins early on for nishikori and goffan but then they fell in their next matches obviously we would think of the top three clay quarters as being nadal djokovic and team on the basis that this week leaves us on current form with Nadal and Djokovic at the top and team still struggling. Do you think team is the third uh, best clay quarter on current form or do you think you would put a Tsitsipas, a um, Zverev? I would put them above um, team right now, and perhaps Sitsipas is, you know, on clay as as the guy who's um, putting in solid performances every week. I think Zverev is, is there now, and um, you know he's maybe got a little point to to prove it to Roland Garros, but. Uh, uh, I'd certainly put them above team right now. It, it, there's still a, a little bit of um, a few question marks over the Austrian. 
thanks to Chris and Miles, and you'll be able to hear more from Chris when we rebroadcast Radio Roland Garros on ATP Tennis Radio in a few weeks' time. Listen out for that. Back now, though, to the Italian theme and arguably the most exciting young player currently inside the world's top 25. Last year, while locked down in Italy as an 18-year-old, Yannick Sinner's viral pizza challenge helped support Italian frontline staff and others suffering as a result of the global pandemic. Now he's turning his attention towards mental health with a new campaign, What Kept You Moving?, which quite simply invites guests from all walks of life to discuss how their mental health has been affected. Mental health is important because uh, many people don't speak about that, so um, I would like to speak a little bit more about that. When I was at home, uh, when everything started, me and uh, Ricardo Piatti decided to take with me and a physical coach in my little apartment in Monaco. It was not that big, but somehow we managed to to practice. We made a little a little space in the room. I mean, it was tough. I have to say, it was tough. What I missed uh, the most it was touching the ball, feeling the ball, especially hearing the ball, you know. Many people are unfortunately dying and uh, they don't have uh, so many hospitals. Tennis was in the second part. For me, the most important thing was my family. Everyone had COVID in my family, but everyone is safe now, so I'm very glad and happy that, uh, that everyone survived that. Mental health is important because uh, many people don't speak about that, so um, I would like to speak a little bit more about that. I started a program which is called What's Kept You Moving. We decided to do that, that little project and uh, we made some little videos. We spoke quite a lot with sports people, um, Bebe Vio. Ciao Bebe. Ciao, come stai? Come stai? Filippo Tortu. Ciao Yannick. Ciao Filippo, com'è? Bene, grazie, tu? Uh, I'm waiting for Dominic Paris, Dorotea Virer as well, Favi J, Italian YouTuber, very famous, talking a little bit about how everything changed, um, the life. Allora, è stato sicuramente un anno molto, molto difficile. Younger people have been struggling a lot, staying at home. Uh, not going out, um, having the freedom what normally we we should have. I think it's uh, very very interesting to see others others' opinions. I'm looking forward to speak with a little bit normal people who have normal jobs, just trying to mix it up as much as possible. I think that's uh, our goal, uh, having more different opinions. Well, I think uh, many young people don't talk too much about tough situations in their life. It don't has to be only COVID, but all the rest together. So I think uh, if you have a great family behind you, uh, don't be scared about uh, talking with them about everything. Uh, you have to be honest with yourself. And uh, even if it hurts, trying to speak about that. Uh, I think it's not only in normal life, but even if you play like sport, the mental part is maybe the most important thing uh, you you have in your life. So, uh, you know, trying to stay safe and uh, 
here we are, we are out, we finally can compete again and uh, I'm happy about that. Already a Masters 1000 finalist this year, expect to hear a lot more from Yannick Sinner. That is it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the pod. If you have, tell a friend or leave us a review. I'm Seb Lozier. Join us again next week when we'll have more exclusive content with the stars of the ATP Tour. Already a Masters 1000 finalist this year, expect to hear a lot more from Yannick Sinner. I'm Seb Lozier. That is almost it. We have one more major treat in store. Join us again next week when we'll have more exclusive content with the stars of the ATP Tour. For now, though, to celebrate a famous 10th title in Rome for Rafael Nadal, let's rewind 15 years to 2006, the year he claimed his second title there by beating a certain Swiss in the final. Past is past, so it's, it's not good to to be thinking about the past <laughs> all the time, no? but of course, uh, past times, uh, all times have been good and beautiful and we played uh, some uh, great battles here in Rome, uh, some fantastic battles with Roger and uh, yeah, I think we enjoyed both of us, even if that day was for me, uh, we played some great matches between each other and uh, this one had been a very one of the longest that we played and uh, the best thing for me, without a doubt, is 15 years later, still here. Welcome to Rome for what promises to be a fascinating encounter. In tennis terms, it simply doesn't get any bigger than this. The world numbers one and two going head to head. The first time that's ever happened here in Rome since ATP rankings began in 1973. It's a mouthwatering encounter with Rafael Nadal, the firm favorite. Yeah, I always remember that tournament with, uh, with a lot of passion and uh, a lot of great moments. I, I enjoyed that. It's a very tough battle, no? Uh, was the, the beginning of our rivalry, so uh, yeah, I remember the, with the feeling that he had uh, a lot of chances that day, no? but it was a super hard physically match. Nadal in a seemingly impossible position, facing six. And there it is, a flawless tiebreak. The Federal Express is right on time. Nadal absolutely delighted to have been able to win that set. He knows how crucial it was to be able to draw level. Nadal here has an opportunity to take the upper hand. Which he does relatively comfortably. I, re I, I was running more now uh, before than now, I think. <laughs> well, this is great stuff in Rome. The fans getting everything they could have hoped for. Federer looking supremely confident and striking the ball very sweetly indeed. Brilliant! Oh yes, it was a, an amazing point. I lost the point, but the point was fantastic. And uh, after 
probably almost five hours to be able to, to play this kind of point. It's just uh, an amazing feeling, you no? Know? And the crowd went crazy. After four hours and 50 minutes of compulsive viewing, Federer with championship point. Chance was there. But Federer here with a chance to make amends. Nadal handling the pressure just so much better than Federer. At the end, uh, you enjoy playing these kind of matches, no? Because of course you want to win it. But even if you lose, that I lost a couple of ones like this, you appreciate a lot the, the effort and you appreciate the, the the moment that you are that you are uh, living. No? An opportunity for the defending champion to take us into a final set tiebreak. He's made it. Unbearable tension here. It was amazing that after the, the final 2005 against Korea, that was to, uh, the next year, straight away I played another five sets final, again 7-6, uh, and was five hours, 0-7 or 0-8. <laughs> it was, was an amazing feeling. After five hours and four minutes, it's Nadal with championship point. I like to watch sometimes the, the old matches, no? I, I enjoy uh, and it's, yeah, it's quite special how, the, how my game evolved. But uh, yeah, I, I think with the passion that I played uh, at that moment, with 100% uh, freedom, with the power of uh, being young and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great moment and I am happy to come back to that moment. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.